I'm just curious. It's not you don't get any points for this, but how many of you have been at every service for encounter so far? So would you agree that it's gotten better and better every night? No pressure. No pressure at all, right? Um Glory to glory. That's what God does. He's just precept on precept. It's like he's building a house, right? You start with that foundation. He starts adding to it. Um, we're so honored to have Pastor Mark Ivey with us tonight. He's new to our church family, right? So this is his first time with us here. Um, but he's not new to Wendy and myself. Um, we've gotten to know them. We've, we've actually snuck up to their church to um, for some revival services because we love to hear Eddie James. Oh breakthrough. Come on. I'm trying not to sing it right now. Um, but we just love coming up there, seeing your place. We love what God's doing. They're in Newton. Who knows where that is? Oh, some people actually knew. You can't get there from here. It's crazy. But they're just like they're doing the kind of unmistakable work of God in that place that I think it's fair to say you wouldn't expect to find that there. And then like, boom, here's this God's doing this amazing thing in their church. And um, he's, just be- he's just become a, a good friend of ours. Um, every time we're together, he's- he never gets tired of me asking questions. I'm always like, so how should I- what should I do about this? And he's he just like, you know, it's a good question. And he just like mic drops the answer. You know, it's so, so good. So listen, first time guests, how do we treat and welcome people when they come to the gathering? Mark Ivy, Come on, give it up for him. Oh, come on, give it up for the Lord one more time. Come on. Listen, really, it is, honestly, I'm, I mean this, it's a real honor for me to be here tonight. And, and I've known for a while that you guys, you guys have been in this project here. Uh, can I just tell you something? This looks great. I'm serious. Uh, from outside all the way in, and, and uh, we've been involved in multiple building projects and getting to go into another one. And, uh, you know, pastors, we pastors, we just love building projects. We just so look forward to what takes place during building projects. And I'm not telling the truth. Uh, and, uh, but really, this looks, this looks great uh, tonight. You guys, are, you guys are awesome. And, and thank you, Pastor, uh, and your wife for just um, uh, inviting me up here. I've been looking forward to being with you Tonight, I've been, I want to just give a little background on myself, brief background. Um, I discovered the other day that next year we will have been married 30 years. Okay, because you don't think about it, it just kind of, you know, it just kind of comes up on you. And we've got three children, our, our daughter uh, and her husband, uh, they live in Winston-Salem. They're actually the student pastors at Winston-Salem First Assembly. Uh, and then I have a, a 24-year-old son who's on staff with me in media and worship. And uh, then uh, I have a, a 16-year-old who right about now is finishing up soccer practice uh, and is looking forward to something to eat. Anybody ever have, anybody have teenagers in the room? Okay, they just like to eat all the time. And, and uh, I, I said I would never do this, uh, but about a year ago, um, we had our first uh, grandchild. And this is a picture of her. She's about a year old. There were these people that would have these grandchildren and things, and I'd say, stop showing pictures about them. I'll never do that. And, and they'd have this wallet full of pictures. I don't have a wallet. I got an iPhone with hundreds of them on it, literally, okay? And uh, I'm just, you know, I don't just really know what to say about that. Um, because she's just stolen our hearts. And I know some of you who are younger here, you, um, if you have kids, you know, how, how, many of you, how many of you have children in the room tonight? Okay. How many of you are glad you have children? Okay, there weren't as many hands. Okay, how many of you wish you had some more children? Okay, we had like one hand go up, okay? All right, and, all right. yeah, and, and so she's just like, oh, she's just so sweet. I just love her, I just love her. And, and, and uh, we get to see her pretty regularly because we keep her um, on a fairly regular basis to help them out um, in their uh, ministry and what they're doing there. And uh, so we're just, uh, just so uh, honored. In the back tonight, uh, if you're interested, if you like, uh, winter will be coming up here and there's 
there's a book in the back that we released. Uh, you can use it for firewood if you want to, but, uh, or there's a book we released uh, called The Elijahs of God. And uh, it says uh, why the American church must move beyond politics into supernatural awakening. This goes through what is happening in America right now. And it is a call to the American church for more than church, for more than elections. It's a call for supernatural awakening in, in America. Uh, if you're interested in that, uh, they're only $10. If you, if you see somebody back there, uh, me or whoever, um, and if you're interested at the conclusion of the worship service. I, how many of you have been in church more than six months? Okay. How many have been in church less than six months? Okay. So that means that most of us have been in church here tonight at least six months or more. Have you ever heard of what happens in church uh, of things that get printed or said that aren't intentional, but they're called church bloopers. Anybody ever heard of church bloopers before? I found some of these church bloopers. And um, I'm going to ask the guys to go ahead and bring it up. And uh, yeah, that's my granddaughter. <laughs> huh? It's part of my PowerPoint. It's not in there? It's a blooper. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read them to you then, okay? Ready? Let me, let me read them to you. I have to put on glasses to do this. Um, this will be a first, Paul, at your church. I'm actually using glasses to see while I'm doing something from the pulpit here. Okay, ready, ready for this one? Um, for those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. <laughs> the pastor will preach his farewell message, after which the choir will sing, Break Forth into Joy. Thursday night, potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. You know those meals at church, you always ask who made that? Anybody ever do that? Okay, you, you don't want to say that, but you do. Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. <laughs> I really like that one, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just weird. I'm just weird. Um, next Sunday, Mrs. Vincent will be soloist for the morning service. The pastor will then speak on it's a terrible experience. <laughs> Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. <laughs> you have to think about that one for a minute, okay. Let us join David and Lisa in the celebration of their wedding and bring your happiness to a conclusion. <laughs> the outreach committee has enlisted 25 visitors to make calls on people who are not afflicted with any church. <laughs> the low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Please use the back door. <laughs> you got to think about that one too. One more. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you don't want to say things the way that they, they come out. Has anybody ever done that before? You've just said things. And I need you to say this with me tonight. Okay, go ahead, guys. Summon your courage. Say it with me. Summon your courage. Look at somebody right now and tell them, summon your courage courage. Look at him. Look at the person beside you. It was in the year of 2000, and my wife and I, we had been on the road. I spent 15 years on the road, actually, preaching and evangelism and here and abroad. It was a Saturday evening, and I was in the church praying, and this is what I said to God, because we had been on the road for so many years. We felt like God might transition us off the road. But my wife will tell you, she felt like God had left us in the wilderness. How many of you have ever felt as though God is not listening? So I told the Lord, I said, God, I'm not smart enough to figure this out on my own. You're going to have to show us exactly 
where you want us to go. My sights were on Atlanta, Georgia. Population, people, city. And Tiffany didn't tell me for a couple of days, but she had a dream that evening that we were at a district meeting. And in the dream, I came running up to her saying, Brother Kelly, who was the superintendent at the time, came running up to her in the dream saying, Brother Kelly feels like we're supposed to be in a place outside of Hickory, North Carolina. This is in a dream. I had only been to Hickory one time in my life, maybe to look for furniture. <laughs> Hickory is way off my radar screen, and actually in the dream, she kept telling me it was like a place outside of Hickory, North Carolina. And so on our way back from the Midwest, we, we drove through Hickory. I'd never driven through that place before like that. And I said, I don't know if this is God or not. So a few months later, we were in eastern North Carolina. She was setting up the product table in the foyer, and I was inside because at the time we were doing this drama called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And, and I was setting things up in the sanctuary, and the pastor said to me, there's an opportunity outside of Hickory in a place called Newton. I went to the product table, I said, we're going to Newton. Didn't know the city, didn't know anybody there. Didn't know exactly how it was going to work. I went to the district, I said, what's going on in Newton? To make a longer story short, Brother Kelly called me and said, let's go there and let's plant a brand new church. Now you have to understand that it was not my intention ever to plant a church. Because I'm not a church planner. At least I didn't think I was. But after a several month period of time, God arranged the circumstances to do something that I thought I would never do. Look at somebody and say, summon your courage. Because I believe in this room right now there are people that deep within your heart there's this thing, but you don't know how you're going to do it. You don't have the money, you don't have the resources you feel, you don't have the talent, you don't have the connections. And God is saying to you tonight, summon your courage. So at the end of 2000, we took a flying leap of faith. We left our source of income. We owned a house in Charlotte. And we began this process Without any money, a friend of mine in New Jersey gave us $10,000 to start, but this was the day, these were the days before any church planning organizations really existed where you could actually get funds. So we started in a little office, spent three years in a middle school, four years in a YMCA, and then built the first phase of the multiple phase building that we're in now. There comes a point in your life where you have to make a decision to move beyond the boundaries of what is safe and simply do what you feel God has called you to do. Here's the story from the book of 2 Chronicles. Let me give you the, the historical background here because it won't make sense if, if I don't explain this to you. Jehoshaphat's a king. He's a godly king. He leads his kingdom in righteousness. He dies. His son takes over. Jehoahaz. And his son is not like his dad. And for eight years, the kingdom dives into idolatry. This man will die. And then his son will take over. He'll reign for one year, and he will be killed. His name was Ahaziah, and the kingdom of Israel continues to digress. And when Ahaziah dies, 
His mother, Athaliah, she will usurp the throne. She is the daughter of King Ahab and has been raised in the northern kingdom of Israel that was full of the idolatry of Jezebel. And she usurps the throne, and in order to secure her power, she kills every person that could potentially rise to be a king. She kills every person that's in the line of David that God had promised that there would be a king that would follow in the footsteps of David throughout the history of Israel. She kills them all to solidify her power and she thinks they're all dead. And what she doesn't know is that the priest's wife, Jehoshaphat, has taken the little baby Joash and hidden him inside the temple. Athaliah continues to reign year after year after year, strengthening her idolatrous worship. And the kingdom is continuing to go down further and further and further. And the nation is walking farther and farther and farther away from God. She doesn't know that a one-year-old is now running around the temple. Because she never would go to the temple because she's not a Yahweh worshiper. She's a Baal worshiper. So the kid's pretty safe because she's not interested in what's going on in God's house. She's only interested in what's going on in her house. Year number two rolls around. Now there's a two-year-old running inside of the, of the temple. Now can you just imagine, those of you that have been parents, can you imagine trying to keep a two-year-old hidden inside of a church? And yet, Jehoshaphat and her husband, the priest Jehoiada, they, they are doing a good job of raising the last line of David. Because remember, if there is no king in David's line, there is no Messiah hundreds of years later. Year number three rolls around. And that little boy is running around the temple. And Athaliah is now following in the footsteps of her mother and father, Ahab and Jezebel, turning the entire nation over to idolatry. Year number four. Year number five. And the people of Israel, they're following after Baal now. Most of them. There's a handful that are not. But the temple has been ignored. The house of God is ignored. There's very little worship going on in the temple. As a matter of fact, later on in the text, we won't talk about it tonight, but they have to begin to raise money to repair the temple because Athaliah didn't care how the house of God looked or whether it was taken care of or whether the Levites or the priests were provided for. Year number six comes. And then year seven rolls around. And I want you to look at the text with me. The Bible will say this specifically. In the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, Jehoiada the priest decided to act. He summoned his courage. First thing I want you to see tonight is that it is time for us to summon our courage to get out of the house of God. For all of these years, He's been inside of the building. He doesn't dare go out because there's a risk of his life. And if the little boy is seen, then he's going to be killed. And all of the future promises and the hopes of Israel are going to get wiped away because Athaliah is going to make sure that Joash is dead. I want to suggest to you tonight that in America we are in a moment of time where it is time to summon our courage to get out of the house of God and go in and love the culture that God has called us to reach. 
What do, you, what do you mean get out of the house of God? Let me tell you what the church does. We're really good at shouting about how bad the world is. Them there are people out there. Those people, them sinners. Them sinners, they ought not to do that. Look at them people, how they act and what they're doing and what they're saying. And, and, and we're, we're, we're so good in church. And, and, and we, we yell at the world and we scream at the world and we tell the world how awful they are. Let me just tell you something. God is not interested in you and I staying in church and yelling about how bad the world is. He is interested in us getting outside of the church and telling them how great God is and how much He loves them and can do something something for them. You see, so, so, so what, what, what Jehoiada the priest is going to have to do, he's going to move from the inside of his house to the outside of his house. This hadn't happened in seven years. And he summons his courage. What, what, what was it that rose up inside of him to say, say, now is the time. Ralph Bethia was a Southern Baptist missionary to Kenya. He was called to reach Muslims. This was the day, these were the days when you could actually talk to Muslims on the street many years ago. And so he had a team of people. He went to Kenya. They're going to win the Muslims to Jesus. They hand out tracks. They roll the tracks up, crumple them up, and throw them on the ground. He tried to go talk to Muslims. They turned their back on him. They ignore him. By Ralph's own testimony, he said, listen, if you'll come let me tell you about Jesus, I will jump off that bridge. Somebody asked him, how many times did you jump off that bridge, Ralph? He said, three times. He said, how many Muslims came to Jesus? None. They're witnessing, they're on the street, they're trying to tell people about Jesus, and they're having zero fruit. Nothing is happening. And God spoke to him and said, stop your witnessing and go to prayer. So they created this lengthy time of prayer and this 24-hour prayer cycle. And during the time of prayer, God spoke to them and said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the community here and I want you to start blessing Muslims. He said, I want you to start. You walk by me and say, I bless you. He said, I bless you in the name of the Lord. I bless you in Jesus' name. So they started going out in the streets. Instead of preaching at him, instead of handing out tracts, he said, I bless you. I bless you. Then God got real specific. He said, now I want you to go to this house. And they go to this house and be a Muslim there. And they pray over the house. They bless the house. And they did this for, for a period of time. And then he gets a call one day from the Muslim imam over the mosque and says, we, we, we've heard about you. He says, you're You're different. He says, most Christians, the Muslim iman said, most Christians are mean. You can't get along with them. They don't smile. And they want to preach at you. None of you are like that. But there's a church somewhere that's like that. <laughs> he said, we want you to come to our mosque and bless the mosque. <laughs> he said, Ralph said, I'm sure the Southern Baptist Convention did not send me here to, to Kenya to bless the mosque. He said, I'll pray about it. He prayed about it. God said, go. So that particular day, he goes into the mosque. And it's packed full of people, and he can feel the energy. He said, God, what's going to happen today? It's going to be great. Something awesome is going to take place. He turned this, turned the mosque service over to him. He stands up and, and blesses and prays and blesses everybody. And nothing happens. While he's standing there, an older gentleman breaks mosque tradition and gets up and walks to the back of the mosque and picks up a little boy holds him in his arms, brings him up. The boy is in a long white gown as they would wear. And he gets up to the front where Ralph is standing. And he opens up a gown and there's two withered legs. 
boy can't walk. And the Muslim says to the missionary, we've heard that Jesus can heal. Will you pray for my son? And Ralph said, well, okay. So Ralph prays and there wasn't anything happening because he saw Pentecostals pull on legs. He started pulling the kid's legs. Maybe the legs will work if he pulls on them. <laughs> Can I just say, are we, is this live? Good. I had a guy, <laughs> I got to tell you, I had a guy a few weeks ago come up to me after service, Pastor. He said, sit down. He said, you got one leg longer than the other. And I'm, I'm just telling you, if you're going to do that, you really ought to have some spiritual power and not some some weirdness, okay? Um, I, can I tell you, though, that people, people that, that um, are like that, they'd be weird without the Holy Spirit, okay? It doesn't matter if they, they people, they get weird when they get the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you, they'd be weird without the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, and uh, so, so he's pulling on this kid's legs, and it's kind of hurting the kid, and the kid's, and the father's embarrassed, and the, and the father said, thank you, thank you, no, no, nothing happened. Father walks back down the aisle, and he turns around, and, and he walks back up to Ralph, and he says, um, would you just pray a blessing over my son? And Ralph said, all right, God, three strikes and you're out. He prays this blessing, and nothing happens, and Father says, thank you, turns around, and as the man is walking back down, Ralph looks at the room full of Muslims and begins to weep because he realizes this is all they know. See, why would people that don't know Jesus act any different than what they act? Why would we expect that people who don't know the Lord should act like people that know the Lord? Why would we sit in our churches and yell at the world when that's all they know. Ralph said he began to weep, and, and, and suddenly he said the boy in the, in the man's arm began to squirm. And, and the father's trying to sit him down on, on his bottom because he knows he doesn't want to drop the boy, and he knows the boy can't stand, and he tries to get him down on the floor, and, and he can't, and he, and he opens up his gown, and the boy is standing. His legs have been completely healed. And all of a sudden, he said, every person in that mosque stood up and began to shout, praise the name of Jesus. It, it went nuts. And, and an older gentleman from the mosque said, you, you got to go now. You, you got to leave now. And, and, and took him outside and said, look, we're, 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 very, we're very thankful that you're, you're here today. And we're, we're grateful that you, you've come. But, but you can't stay. And, but, but the man said to, to Ralph, he said, I, I just have to tell you. He said, I have never felt such and Ralph said, neither have I. What am I telling you? That at some point, the church is going to have to get out of the house. The church is going to start, have to start looking at the world the way God sees the world. Jehoiada summons his courage to do something that nobody else had done. Can, can I just tell you? Can I be real transparent with you and I'd be as transparent with my own church? I don't like the church thing. I've been doing ministry 33, 34 years. The church thing is real predictable. We know that we're going to come to church. We know we're going to sing a few songs. We know that we're probably going to take up an offering and have an announcement or two. We know there's going to be a message in some type of altar call. And for the most part, you wouldn't even have to be there to know what went on. See, I'm just at a place in my life now where I, there has to be something more than that. There's got to be a hunger from somebody somewhere. 
that goes beyond the routine of Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night or whenever it is. There's got to be somebody with enough desire for God that looks at the next generation and wants them to know more than sermons and songs and wants them to have an encounter with the living God. I'm just tired of it. And can I tell you something else? We're not streaming. It's great. I don't much care what people think anymore. Because I need to empty some seats out of my church because I don't really want to go into a building project, but I'm going to have to anyway. And, and so if I can say some things to offend people, it might delay the process. I, I don't much care anymore because we have padded, offended, and lukewarm people long enough. And somewhere, somebody's got to summon the courage to do something with God's house that has never been done before. Look at somebody and say, summon your courage. Here's the second thing he did. Summon your courage to organize the servants of God. He summoned his courage to gather the house of God, then he summoned his courage to organize the servants of God. Now, now notice what it says. He summoned his courage and made a pact with five army commanders. Now, I'm only going to spend a second here because I'm going to try not to be very long because I want to spend time praying here at the altar. You're not like this because I know you're pastor. But there are Pentecostal slash charismatic churches, and I don't know how you like to refer to yourself. I don't like calling ourselves a Pentecostal church only because the name Pentecostal in our area is weird. Okay? It's the people that, that don't cut your hair and, and the women are oppressed and you can't wear jewelry and all that kind of stuff. That's, and so I don't, like, I, I don't like that name Pentecostal, although it is biblical. I prefer to call us um, spirit-filled or charismatic or, or something. But you realize there are Pentecostal charismatic churches that think if anything is organized, it's not godly. Well, you can't be organized, you'll quench your spirit. And it's the spirit. You gotta say it right. You're gonna quench the spirit. And and I was reading a while back and, and I began to understand something. And it was a teaching I was doing on uh, some leadership stuff and it was on Moses and, and the text is here, it's Exodus 18 and you, if you don't know the story, this is where Moses is, he's got three million people, okay, and he's, he's looking after them all, basically. Somebody's got a problem, they go to Moses. Somebody's got an issue, they go to Moses. Well, I mean, you can't even do that with 300 people, let alone, let alone 3 million. But everybody has to have an audience with the pastor. And my personal philosophy is that it doesn't matter to me how they get pastored as long as they get pastored. Because there's a certainly more than one person with a pastoral gift that can pray for somebody else besides me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, I want the pastor. Is nobody else spirit-filled that can do this? So everybody is coming. We're not streaming, right? We're, everybody is coming to Moses. And Jethro is father-in-law. How many have father-in-laws and mother-in-laws? Okay, they're all good, aren't they? I don't think my mic's on. They didn't hear what I just asked them. That was a real silent uh, word there. Look, Jethro says, this isn't good. He says, you're going to wear yourself out. And it's not just wearing himself out. He's going to wear the people out too because they're tired of standing in line. He said, the job's too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to the people, be the rep, people's representative. You're like the, the overseer bringing their disputes to him, teach them God's decrees, you're the teacher, and give him his instructions, show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders. Watch this. This is just, you know this. Get those who can lead a thousand, 
Some can lead 100, some can lead 50, and some can lead 10. They should all, they, they, not Moses. Everybody say they. Okay. Can I just tell you something? I'm from the north originally. I apologize for that. Um, I'm, I'm from Maine originally. Okay, anybody here from Maine? You are. Where are you from? Belfast. Belfast. I've actually preached in Belfast, I think. Maybe. It's in southern Maine. I'm from northern Maine, out by the Canadian border, in a place called Holton. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they had like 150 inches of snow last year. It's awful. It's just awful. I can't take it. I can't take it. And what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, by the way, we won the war. Just want to let you know that. Okay. Okay, I just, I'm sorry. I just had to say that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we haven't had round two yet. <laughs> okay, I'm messing with you. Okay. And um, I was going to say something important. I don't even know what it was now. <laughs> they. Yeah, so down here in North Carolina. Here's what I've learned. I'm not the pastor, which I'm fine. I don't care what people call me, really. But I am the preacher. A preacher, which is fine. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me. You can call me Mark. You can call me preacher. I prefer that to some other things I've been called. And, 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 uh, but surely what God is trying to teach here is that it's not just the preacher. Well, you should be available anytime you need. I need you, preacher. No, I shouldn't. I have a family. I have a wife. I have kids. I have ball games. I have, grand, I have a granddaughter. You're absolutely right. Woo! <laughs> Touch that woman, Lord. <laughs> okay. I'm not always available. And you're probably not going to like this, but, but now if somebody calls the office, they want to talk to me, those, those phone calls get routed to other people. You don't talk to people? Of course I do. Do you go to hospitals? Sometimes. But how am I supposed to grow a ministry if everything runs through me? See, pastor didn't ask me to say this, but if you want this church to explode in growth, okay, let him do what he's already trying to do and and let some of you take control of it so he doesn't have to be the preacher all the time. What else was it you told me to say? <laughs> there probably is more, but I... <laughs> Look, no, 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 watch this. Look, they'll help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice and if God commands you to do so, then you'll be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. Now, does everybody understand that principle? Whether you believe it or not, do you at least understand it? Okay. Now, this was the revelation to me. That's chapter 18. Turn the page in your Bible. And chapter 19 says, Then Moses climbed the mountain to get along with God. Listen. Without chapter 18 and delegating to leaders, there's no chapter 19 and an encounter with God. I've been around in ministry long enough to understand that pastors are now CEOs of corporations, but we're not having very many encounters. And what God wants for me, what God wants for this pastor, what God wants for you as a woman, what God wants for you as a man, what God wants for you as a young man, a young lady, he wants you to have an encounter. But you've got to organize it so that you can get away and get alone with God. You know, it's a shocking thing to me. I know I'm old. I still remember the days of the bag phones. Some of you are looking at me, what's a bag phone? <laughs> Literally that. It was a cell phone that was in a bag. It was this big. <laughs> you had to carry it over your shoulder. Not that bad. And it was three bucks a minute. Okay, I remember we were on the road. It's, honey, don't use the phone. It's $3 a minute. <laughs> you know what's shocking to me? 
that people can't take this and turn it off and get along with God. Well, I might get a text message. Somebody might call me. Look at me in the eyeballs. You're not that important. <laughs> Somebody just probably put their phone in. You were looking at Facebook just a minute ago, weren't you? You were scrolling through Facebook is what you were doing, weren't you? Why? Because if this nation is going to have an encounter with God, the people of God have to have an encounter with God. If you don't have an encounter, Albemarle has no encounter. We can talk all day long about how great we are. And, and, and again, your building is great. It's awesome. I loved it when I walked in. I want it. I want to put it somewhere. I want another location. I want this building. If you just do that, that'd be awesome. Okay. But if we think a world that is living in the idolatry of Baal worship, do I need to explain what Baal worship is? Let, let me just take a minute, okay? Because, because this is the culture that, that Jehoiada was living in. This is why he had to summon his courage. Baal worship primarily consisted of child sacrifice um, and some of it was called Molech worship as well, where they would, take, they would heat the idol up until it was red hot, burning hot, and then they would beat the drums loudly. And the reason they beat the drums was so that you couldn't hear the screams of the baby when they threw it on the fire. Okay. It's abortion. It's, it's, it's um, um, post-abortion. It's, it's whatever you want to call it. And it all revolved around sexual immorality and all kinds of things. It, it, it's, it's what we're seeing right now in America is 21st century Baal worship. It's under a different name, but it's just Baal worship that the Old Testament people had to deal with. Somebody's got to have an encounter. I'll just get real transparent with you. I'm not interested in the next 10 years of ministry of doing what I do every day without an encounter. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to go be a greeter at Walmart. Because I can have more impact there than I can in a church world that's more interested in their own blessings than they are having an encounter with Jesus Christ. Okay. In order to get chapter 19, you've got to get chapter 18. This is why Jehoiada, he summoned his courage to organize the people of God. Here's the third thing he did. Summon, summon your courage. Next slide, guys. Summon your courage to call the men of God and reveal the king. So, so he gets all of these men together. They travel secretly throughout Judah and summon the Levites and clan leaders in all the towns to come to Jerusalem. They gather at the temple of God where they made a solemn pact with Joash, the young king. Okay, nobody knows this kid's alive. Nobody knows he's alive. Somebody said to me a while back, it's over for America. What a dumb thing to say. First of all, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace can much more abound. And if you will just read church history, all throughout church history, God had unseen people waiting in the wings. He had a man, he had a woman, he had a boy, he had a girl, he had a family, he had somebody that nobody knew about, and he was just waiting on the moment to reveal them. Can I just tell you what I believe? I believe there's a generation of young men and women. I believe there's a generation of older men and women. I believe there might be some people in the church right now. You've got desires in your heart, but you have no way to fulfill them. You're the person waiting in the wings. I believe there's people in the wings of America right now that God is going to rise up with a prophetic word and a prophetic voice to call this nation back to repentance and heaven. Thus says the Lord, God's always got somebody somewhere to speak for him. You remember when Jesus in his earthly ministry, there was a group of individuals that came to Jesus. It's in John's gospel chapter 12. And it said this, that 
Some Greeks had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. They paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. By the way, Jesus did 80% of his miracles weren't done in the temple or in the synagogue. As a matter of fact, out of 132 appearances that the Gospels give to us of Christ, only about four of them are in the temple, six are in the synagogue, the rest of them are in the mainstream of life. We think the miracles are supposed to happen here. We think the move of God is just supposed to happen here. We think that everybody's supposed to come in through that door to here so it can happen here. God is wanting to get us out of here so that you can go into the streets and lay hands on people on the street in your job, in your home, in your places of influence. Did you know that you have the ability with Christ inside of you, you have the ability to walk into a room, to walk into a business, to walk anywhere in this community where you live, back into your family that's maybe struggling because Christ is in you, you have the ability to change the atmosphere because if light's inside of you and you go where there's darkness, light starts to come where that darkness is. It's not inside the house that God wants to get us. It's outside of the house. And they came to Philip and they says, we want to see Jesus. Let me tell you what they'd seen. They had seen a religious system that talked about people, that criticized people, that judged people. I'll tell you when this scripture really became real to me. I was in college. And there was a lot of stuff going on in those days. Um, and a lot of doctrinal stuff in the area and stuff. And it was wacky stuff. It really was kind of wacky. But I got my eyes on all that wacky stuff. We've got to correct this. We've got to fix this. We've got to get this taken care of. And you know, I'm, I'm a 22-year-old, I'm however old I was, a senior in college. And of course, I, I, I knew it all. Because I am the, the doctrinal corrector of everything that I perceive to be wrong. And I'm walking across the campus one day, and God dropped the scripture in my heart. He says, sirs, we would see Jesus. This world has seen a lot of religion. They need to see Jesus. They don't need to hear our doctrinal positions. What does a world without Christ care about what we believe? Well, Pastor, they need to know what we believe. No, they're going to look at your life to determine what you believe. What, what I say is irrelevant. It's what I do that determines what I believe. Look at somebody and say, summon your courage. He summoned his courage to call the men of God and reveal the king. Let me give you two more, then we're going to pray. I've got two minutes and 36 seconds. I know I'm good, but I like to pay attention to time. That's why I don't have a watch. Let me give you these last two. Summon your courage to ignore opposition to the voice of God. Well, Athaliah hears this crowd celebrating at the temple. And she runs and she sees what's going on. She says, treason, treason. How could it be treason when she's usurped the throne to start with? There's always going to be a voice of opposition. Look, I've been in the ministry long enough. Are we streaming? We just started. We just started. I got a letter a while back. Honestly, Pastor, I think it's the first letter I've gotten like this. I got a letter. I, I preached this. I preached it a couple times, actually, and sometimes it's okay to preach things over in your church because people don't get it the first time. They need to hear it again. And, and, um, and they probably didn't remember when I preached it anyway. Um, you preach stuff over again? Yeah, maybe. Uh, you should. It's okay. It's really okay, folks. I, I just have to tell you, if we just obey what we've already heard, we could have a revival instead of needing another sermon every week. Uh, say, summon your courage. <laughs> I got this letter. What was I talking about? I'm gonna, 
Oh, yeah, treason. I got this letter. There's always going to be opposition, and I preached this message. I'm going to tell you what. The Holy Spirit was so powerful that morning. I mean, it was just awesome. But I like history, Bible history, and, and sometimes talk about some of the um, historical things that surround Scripture that aren't necessarily in Scripture, but they're part of Scripture. And the way you know them is to study the context. Okay. Well, the letter started out dif- discussing how um, FBI agents determine what counterfeit bills are. <laughs> That's how it started. Uh, I said, counterfeit bills? What is this woman talking about? Why is she talking about my preaching? <laughs> it's, it's counterfeit. And, uh, but but there's, always, there's always opposition. I mean, can I just tell you, don't, don't write a letter. If, you, if you've got any kind of Christianity about it all, go directly to your pastor face-to-face. Don't be passive-aggressive and send an email or a text or a letter. Stop it. I'm serious. I don't know why it's so quiet in here right now. <laughs> what else was it you told me to say? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, really, I mean, everybody can say whatever they want to on an email or a text. Stop it. Have, summon your courage and go face-to-face and do the godly thing and stop being passive-aggressive in your communication with people you can't get along with. It's a good thing I'm not candidating for this church because that vote would be no. <laughs> so she starts hollering. You can tell I really don't care, can't you? <laughs> the, the vote, the, the, the vote. She's hollering out. We don't even vote in my church. Okay, you, you, We don't vote on anything. Nothing. Zero. Because it's not a biblical principle. That's another something for something else. She's hollering out, treason, treason. There's always going to be opposition. At some point, you as a believer, did I just get myself in trouble? No, okay, good, okay, good, I'm glad. Makes me, it does make me nervous sometimes. You can straighten it out after I'm gone. Okay. Summon my courage. Whoa, I will. Okay. There's always going to be opposition somewhere. Summon your courage. Summon it. Do the right thing. Musicians, come on. Let me give you one more. This is what he does. I just remember reading this text that day. I was, I was sitting in the... Uh, I, I found a place where I spend time with God. It's in my vehicle at the park. Because I can put my phone on do not disturb. I can't get anything done in the office. Seriously. Panther. Can I talk to you for a minute? No. And uh, I'm not really not that mean. Um, and I'm sitting there reading this in Second Chronicles. And it's that phrase. Summon your courage. Here's the last thing Jehoiada does before Joash takes over as king. He summons his courage to reestablish the covenant with the people of God. This was a big deal. Because what was supposed to happen, according to the guidelines that were set up when they started having kings with Samuel way back, Every king that came to power was supposed to have a copy of the law given to him. He was to know God's law backwards and forwards. This hadn't happened in decades. And Jehoiada realized that if Joash is going to be a good king, a godly king, he can't just lead off his feelings. He's got to lead off from God's word. You realize, don't you, that we are living in a church culture where people live according to their feelings. Well, this is just what I think. This is just what I'm going to do. Well, I, I, know what, I know what they preach. I know what the Bible says. But I really feel like I'm going to do this. We're living in a church, and we're, we're messed up, folks. We are messed up. 
And Jehoiada realizes that if this nation is going to get shifted back around, that it's going to have to start with a covenant. And he, and he makes a covenant between himself, first of all, then the king and the people that they'd be the Lord's people. You know, it doesn't matter what somebody else does. It doesn't matter what your husband does. It doesn't matter what your wife does. It doesn't matter what your kids do. It doesn't matter what your parents do. It doesn't matter what your grandfather does or doesn't do. It doesn't matter what your church does. And me as a pastor, it doesn't matter what my church does. I have to make a covenant with God to say, God, I want to do what's right. I want to follow after you. I want to be your people. Because you understand that we are living in a culture, folks, where it's all based on feeling now. He makes a covenant that the people be the Lord's people. And all the people went out. And notice what they did. They went over to the temple of Baal. They didn't just say, oh, that's a bad thing. They, they tore it down. Maybe there are people in the room tonight that there are some things that you have built in your life that need to be torn down. And maybe there are some struggles. And, and listen, every person in this room tonight, at some point in your life, you're going to struggle with something. I'm going to struggle. You're going to struggle. There's going to be something. A lot of the issues that are sitting in front of me tonight started when you were kids or teenagers. It's just been kind of there with you a long time. And some of us have built up things in our lives and you're going to have to summon your courage tonight to say enough's enough. You're going to have to summon your courage tonight and say, tonight's the night I'm going to deal with my temptations. Tonight's the night I'm going to deal with that sin. Tonight's the night I'm going to deal with that unforgiveness. Tonight's the night I'm going to deal with that offense. Tonight's the night I'm going to deal with that secret thing that nobody knows about. Tonight's the night I'm going to tear it down. And God is asking you, will you summon your courage to deal with that thing tonight? Tonight's the night you're going to have to deal with the hurt and the pain and the wound that took place in your life and you're struggling with the unforgiveness of it and you don't know what to do with it and you've walked with it year after year after year after year after year. Summon your courage tonight. They demolished the altars and smashed the idols. And they killed the priest of Baal in front of the altars. Some of you tonight are going to kill the voices that have been speaking to you and you're going to kill it at this altar. Summon your courage. Summon your courage. Summon your courage. Don't sit through another worship service until you've gotten before God and faced this thing said enough is enough I'm going to deal with it tonight I want you to stand with me right now I want you to take a moment in the room right now I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord tonight just, just I don't want you to do it as a as a ritual type of thing. Okay, we're going to do this for 15 seconds and then we're going to do something else. I just want to wait on the Lord for a minute. Holy Spirit, help us tonight to summon our courage. Bless the name of Jesus tonight.
Just hold your hands out to the Lord like you're receiving something because the presence of God is going to minister to you right now. I want you to receive what God has for you right now. God's not angry with you. God's not mad with you. He loves you. He's been wanting to bring you to this moment for a long time. He's been wanting to bring you to the place where you have the courage to believe that freedom was even possible. And it is. You don't have to struggle anymore. Here's what I want you to do. If any part of this message tonight has touched any part of your life, whoever you are, I want you to quickly come and stand at the front of this building right now. Come quickly.